You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, joined by my co-host Leon. Let's do this! What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Ace Comicals episode 109. Um, today it is just me and Leon. Evening. And uh, we got quite a list for you today of stuff that we've been doing and reading within the past two weeks. So this is like us bringing you our best. Um, so should we just kick off with like the little things, like uh, the ambient stuff, as I call it? <laughs> Um, what I've been getting myself into these past couple of weeks. So, like, there's the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, you know, like, we've been kind of like, we we, we only had one episode of the show the last time we did a podcast. And I was kind of, like, reluctant to say much about it because we had 40 minutes of material and that was it. And I didn't really have much to say about the 40 minutes we got. But now I am three episodes in. There are four episodes available. I haven't seen the fourth one yet. You've seen all four, haven't you? I have. Yeah. And um, the thing, the main thing for me that I'm getting from it at the moment is like all these little kind of like gems that they're kind of like sucking in from the wider Marvel universe and just throwing at us. And... Um, I was getting rather excited the other night about a certain fictional geographical location. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wanted to, um, when, when we can have a proper conversation about it, when I'm not going to be spoiling this for people, then that's what we'll do. Yeah. Cause I but, think, yeah. I think that would be useful for us, maybe in the gap between, Falcon Winter Soldier ending and then Loki starting in June. Yeah. If we just maybe do um, some special episodes where we just cover WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier because I think there, mm. um, there's stuff to dig into that we've not really had a chance to because of our release schedule and those yeah. shows' release schedules. And there's things beyond their implications as TV shows, but like how they interact with the wider MCU and how the comics is kind of like an avenue for Marvel to dig a bit deeper in the, into their uh, their like deep lore. I think it provides a, a rich opportunity for us to dig into some stuff. Yeah, I'd love to get lore heavy with these shows. I really would because yeah. that's like that's like my jam as a comics fan. <laughs> like, and that's the thing. Like, I feel especially for you, like, I think, like, the other week, uh, me and a uh, friend of the show and previous guest, uh, Marv, uh, we were t- talking about, like, certain e- episodes of these things, especially with recent episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we're like, oh, Greg is going to die when he sees this. Like, there's just so many, like, super, like, deep lore, like, hint stuff for, like, people who are, like, probably... Uh, properly like knee deep like born in the darkness type stuff um <laughs> i think there there's a lot to talk about yeah i was born in the comics raised <laughs> by them <laughs> 
but yeah, I'm I'm totally totally down for like some full on um law law heavy episodes for those because that's the stuff I want to get into. Um another thing actually that I wanted to tie this back to was an interesting uh, bit of side reading for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that kind of like popped up um as a result of episode 2. Um, with the introduction of a character called Isaiah Bradley. Um, and this is something that I, I wanted to bring up. And, and I, I actually want to give this its own show at one point as well, because I think mm. there's so much here that we, could, that we need to discuss. I think this deserves its own dive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is Truth, Red, White and Black, which is a Captain America, a Captain America comic. And um, it is about the, the black super soldier, Isaiah Bradley. Um, it just... Basically, the, the the premise is that there was a, a regiment of African-American soldiers in World War II that were experimented on without consent against their will um, in an attempt to reproduce the super soldier serum that created the original Captain America. Um, and the way that the book plays out, because it's seven issues... And the way that the whole thing kind of plays out, the narrative like in here is the fact it just blows open and it shows how the Allies, specifically in this case America, were almost as bad as the Nazis. In fact, were as bad as the Nazis, actually. There's no almost about it. Um, and it, 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 in, in their treatment of African-Americans and others before, during and after World War II. Um, and this is like, you know, uh, the struggles that it touches on the struggles that, that black Americans faced following world war one, when soldiers returned from world war one and were c- confronted with what one character in these books terms as the war at home. Mm. Um, and it brings up similar things to what the, uh, the recent Watchmen TV series does. Yeah. Definitely. It kind of dips into similar territory with that stuff. Um, and it's this isn't just Americans, it's Americans and also their allies in their treatment of people of colour in general and the inequality there and, and like sending people abroad to fight for ideals like freedom and equality on foreign shores only to be treated as second class citizens upon their return. Yeah. And uh, like there's just like there's a strong thread in that book and a lot of other um fiction that deals with that reality where um there is very much uh, a nature of um to like paraphrase or para quote um, a character's line in the the book and film. Um, oh crap! How have I forgotten that? It's mud, uh, mud, uh, mudbound. Sorry. Yeah, I was trying to get it, and then I was like, Harry Potter was getting into my head. Like, you know, <laughs> Mudbloods. Yeah, uh, mudbound. But yeah. um, uh, it, this is set just after World War Two, and um, uh, it, it deals with like uh, two families of like um, like black uh, farmers. And how they in- interact with each other, and one of the characters is a soldier who's come back, and he's he his experience is that when he was over in Germany, we were treated as heroes, as liberators, as they defeated the Nazis. I think he was over in France specifically, and then he, he comes back, and he's still being called the N word, and because um, they live in the South as well, and it's like wow, it's just like you come home and you're not even human, whereas like a few months ago you were a hero treated as an equal um and it it just that the whiplash of that and um like following on from that all the different things that like um the tuskegee syphilis experiments um 
and things like um, Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks DNA, um, all, all things like that. Where I think, to a degree, that history is obviously like forgotten in many parts, and people like to focus on the the shiny parts about uh, different aspects, especially when it comes to the Noble Wars, like World War Two. But yeah, there's such a, a dark history there. Um, and about how how these nations, particularly America, um, really um, abused um, the the more marginalized people in their in their populations. Yeah, I mean, not only that, like I think even um, like the other allies would have been guilty of it as well, like Britain with the way mm. that we use the colonies and things like that. You know, definitely. Um, and it's. So it's like it kind of like draws parallels between the way that people are that these people are treated in the US and the way that Germany was at that time for Jewish people, people of color, you know, gypsies, people of the LGBTQIA community and others. And it's just like the allied nations were as hostile of place for these people, too, and, and, and for these communities. And the book shows it and the narrative in the way the book unfolds like you brought it up just now like the narrative the way the book unfolds with the regiment of black soldiers undergoing the tests and experiments um in the development of the super soldier serum serum without the knowledge and consent was of what was happening to them in effect was is a direct reference to the tuskegee syphilis study and that is then placed in direct context against the atrocities committed by the nazis against jewish people during the holocaust and it, it, it it's uncomfortable and it's supposed to be like it holds a mirror up to America and to, you know, these other countries and, and lays out the hypocrisy of what America stands for and therefore what Captain America stands for and represents in that way. Um, and I think that's, that's what is so interesting about this book. And like I was saying before, it needs its own episode, but I just wanted to bring it up briefly because it's something that I think anyone who's currently watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you should dip your toes into this as well um, because it's a really good I think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier provides a really good hopping off point to get onto this comic, actually. Mm. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that um, in the same way that the Watchmen TV series was a good um, like primer uh, and a good sort of jumping off point for um, other comics fiction, which handles uh, a lot of the, the same type of topic, mm. I think that... Um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier provides a good bouncing off point um, for this comic and like several others as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend people check out this comic. And um, what were we saying prior to the recording about how this was printed in 2003 by Marvel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wild. Because Yeah, because um, yeah, on, on different levels. Because one, it's wild because like... If if it were, if that was announced that they were running it today, it, you wouldn't really bat an eyelid because you're like, yeah. it's, it's an initiative that uh, Marvel have been better at over the last sort of five years, maybe longer. Of, yeah, like um, digging into these stories, giving them to uh, like um, artistic teams made up of marginalised um, writers, and uh, uh, like allowing a bit more like hard hitting truth and being able to take like quote-unquote sacred heroes and do something different with them and reveal a bit more about the world using them um but like it felt way less of an open plane to do that like back then and obviously there is history with that because i remember 
um it when it being announced there being backlash and stuff and um oh, and not huge. just from because this is before social media but not just mm. from like angry comic book nerds who who are quite traditional but but instead um it's uh it was also reviewers from, yeah reviewers yeah. and stuff because that it's just it was a different um media landscape at, at that time people were yeah. just saying wild stuff but yeah it's 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 quite wild um and quite uh interesting like the time period it came out yeah so that was uh written by robert morales um pencils and inks by kyle baker letters by wes abbott colors by kyle baker um limited series seven issues january to july 03 and um yeah it's it's i think it's an important um comic to read actually um i think it's one that a lot of people should probably add to their lists of like bookshelf stuff that you need because it it needs more um it needs more air i think i think more people need to read this moving on from there i just wanted to bring up that like i feel that um tko particularly are killing it at the moment because like some of the stuff i've been reading between then and now is like um mostly tko stuff that i picked up so i just wanted to give also give a quick shout to uh tko for red fork which is a genuinely awesome book um and some of the shorts they've been doing as well like have you checked any of this out leon have you ever looked at any of this no i've uh Read read like TK stuff previously. Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't checked out any of the shorts, and I've got um, Red Fork on my uh, read list after your recommendation. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic! I was looking forward to it from the get go, anyway, because I like follow stuff like this quite closely. Um, obviously, that's why I do this podcast. But like, <laughs> I've been like. <laughs> I'd been staring at like uh, promo shit for it for ages when it was mm. on Twitter and things like that. And I got, I got really, really hyped for it. And then when it dropped, I was like, yo, I'm checking this out on Comixology. Um, and yeah, it, it, it blew my mind, melted my face. Uh, one day I will do a proper review for it. But uh, yeah, so that's Alex Packendale, Neil Vendrell and uh, Jula Brusco. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome book. And uh, alongside that, there's a few of the... Um, I've got a list of the one shots to recommend as well, actually the, uh, the, the little, um, shorts, the TKO shorts. So we've got hand me down, um, the father of all things and seeds of Eden, which are my three, I've read them all. These are my three favorite ones so far. Um, so like, I love the father of all things. This is set during world war one. And uh, this is Sebastian Gurner, uh, Bardemar Rivas, and Steve Wands. And um, this is a really awesome kind of like... Basically, I, I hopped onto reading this after reading... Um, after I, when, while I was reading the Lock and Key World War I stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I go through these moods where I sort of seek that stuff out. Um, and I hopped onto reading this and it's World War One meets Eldritch Horror. So it's kind of like, Damn. it's almost, it, it's, 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 it was in the same wheelhouse. So it was just more of the same. So it was yeah. like a, a, a tasty follow-up. Did you <laughs> to will the it into existence? 
<laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> it's something that could have been willed into existence by me, I'm sure. But um, the next one was Hand Me Down, which was Alex Packendale and Jen Hickman and Simon Boland. And this is um, a really interesting story about demonic possession, um, which is super cool. Um, they get basically this couple get invited to a party like in the they move to this like wealthy neighborhood and they get invited to this party of like this swanky party but like it's it's the type of party where there are like car keys going in a bowl type of party yeah 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 you know and people wearing masks and stuff and it's all a bit like yeah um kind of like kind wide shirt yeah a <laughs> little bit yeah <laughs> and then and then uh things take a take a bit of a turn because obviously these bored rich people aren't just you know wife swapping and whatever they're also getting themselves into some freaky demonic stuff and um yeah <laughs> it goes from there and it's really interesting i love it um the next one uh the last one that i picked up was seeds of eden this was like the last one on the list of three that i really recommend um this is liana kangas paul azaceta and jeff powell um and yeah this is basically like um the self a self-sustaining colony gone wrong and uh i i enjoyed this particularly because it's like to sustain itself this self-sustaining like because it was built for efficiency and it is built to sustain itself. It, it does some really awful things and it's an AI and obviously AIs don't feel or think about what they're doing and mm. it just, it spirals from there and it becomes a uh, space horror. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, another brilliant little book. Fully recommend that one. Um, these are all things that one day I'm going to get around to talking about fully and properly on this cast because there's just so many, so much stuff that I read. And obviously we don't get time to talk about it all. <laughs> and I don't get time to, to, to talk about it all. I, I spend so much time reading it and thinking about it that I'm just like, and then I end up bursting with things to say about it. But then I don't ever, I know that the Ace Comicals website blog and everything else is supposed to be an outlet for this, but I, it, that's my failing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe I should write more. Yeah, because I think that... There's a thing where, so I sometimes end up in a position where sometimes I'm like, oh, I want to go back and reread um, this this book that I really like. And it's usually like 12 trades or something. Um, and But I'm like, ah, oh, but it just feels like a waste to do that if I can't use it to talk about it on the episode. And And, and sometimes that thinking can affect other things where it's like, oh, we, um, It'll be a thing where like you or Rahul recommended a comic and I didn't get around to it for ages and now now I've read it but you guys spoke about it like a year ago so it's kind of irrelevant and my thoughts aren't too much different to yours so then sometimes that discourages me catching up on stuff because I'm like yeah I'll get around to that but because it's not active read time sometimes it feels like oh when am I going to talk about this and um, so it, it does suck because ultimately I like to read this stuff because it's enjoyable to read. But um, in a world of like 
finite time, sometimes I find some of this stuff like falls aside. So it would mm. be nice to uh, maybe if we just uh, do some dump apps where we're just like, these are all the things that um, like came out in between us doing regular apps, like while we're doing like a, a Nightfall or Watchmen retrospective or something. Yeah. And like these five issues of uh, five comics have come out and by the time we do a normal regular episode, like another ten comics will come out. So, so maybe it'd be cool to to go mm. back and and catch up. Yeah, definitely. We should uh, we should probably try and schedule some of that in because I really, really, really want to do some proper talking about these. It'd be great if because um, I I kind of want I want I want you guys to read them as well so we can have mm. like a full conversation because some of these are fantastic. Um, I mean, like what what have you been up to in this uh, in the interim? reading wise or watching wise uh watching wise um it's been funny because i've been revisiting a bunch of things so like um obviously recently we had uh, godzilla versus kong so yes. I, I decided to go back and rewatch the monsterverse i think they're calling it um the legendary monsterverse Starting with um, 20, 2014's Godzilla, and then um, Kong Skull Island, and then uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and then wrapping up with the recent release of Godzilla vs. Kong. And uh, it's, been, it's been funny going back, because each of the movies has its own um, different feel yeah. and uh, different tone. And the well, what's been kind of sad, actually, is that the more like cool and geeky they got with it is the worst the filmmaking has got in some ways, which mm. kind of sucks because like Godzilla King of the Monsters just on the face of it should be amazing. Cause it's like, I'm finally getting to see like Godzilla versus Rodan and, and, um, uh, Ghidorah and, and get, getting to see like Mothra and stuff. And it's like, they've thrown $200 million for the best CGI and stuff. And it's like, uh, but you can't really see the fights properly because there's just particle effects everywhere. And they they waste like half the movie or more so with these boring human characters. And it's just like, uh, maybe I'll just go back and watch the, the men in suits again. Because, I mean, that, that just gave you what you needed. <laughs> and um, But ultimately, um, I... Like I've got mixed feelings on on the latest movie because again I think it has the problem of too many human things. But there's a big step up in how the um, how the action is shot, and it, it is just cool to watch uh, Godzilla and Kong go at it. And there's like a lot of different um, like anime references in there. Like you can tell it's made by a bit of a weeb fanboy, <laughs> um, but it's quite fun. It has a really it has a really good look and when the monsters are fighting it is pretty fun um when the monsters aren't fighting it's kind of silly but um yeah it's 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 a it's a fun time i don't like the thing of like switch your brain off type things but it, it they these movies aren't easy to watch um though i think my favorite is probably the 2014 godzilla still cuz for me that movie's basically jaws but but with kaiju and uh yeah kind of like i like the slow build and the sort of the building dread and 
Godzilla is sort of worshipped as like a, a, a deity by that movie, by the the uh, restraint that the filmmaking has in terms of showing Godzilla and what Godzilla can do and Godzilla interacting and stuff. So uh, that yeah, that's been me on a on a movie thing. Because so, I, I think it's a thing where after going back and rewatching the uh, Snyderverse movies again in the run up to. Um, the Snyder hmm. cut. Uh, <laughs> I, I felt like I needed to uh, g- go back and um, spend another, spend some time in another, uh, like uh, sort of CGI landscape. So you universe. didn't, you didn't go and watch it in black and white again, then. No, no, I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> for the uh, the uh, Atomic Breath cut of uh, <laughs> of all the Godzilla movies, where the only thing in color is the atomic breath. <laughs> I mean, I mean the Snyder Fest. You didn't watch that. You didn't watch um, Snyder Cut Black and White. Oh, just Justice, Justice is, is Grey. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> not yet, because uh, like you, I've also spent eight hours on that movie already. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think um, I'm good for now. You're giving it eight hours. Why not give it sixteen? <laughs> but <laughs> like... I, I think another thing as well is that we, we've had these conversations off cast, but like mm. I'm just. I'm a big lover of uh, black and white film, including modern black and white film. But I'm not a big fan of these, like, here's a new cut of a movie in black and white. Uh, and they've done it with, like, what, Blood and Chrome, with, like, Mad Max. Um, they did it with Logan. But, they did it with Parasite uh, last year. Yeah. It's like, it just, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. There's a difference between a film being shot in black and white and designed to be black and white, and then people making the film black and white just to be wanky. And, and the thing is, it's an interesting <laughs> experiment. And pe- uh, like, people could snark and say, oh, what's the point of watching that cut when you can just turn the saturation down and you color? It's like, nah, it's not the same. But like, it's an interesting experiment, definitely. And as someone who has a history of like studying like media and stuff like that, it is like, if you're someone who's got so, you're up to date on everything and you've got so much free time on your hands, then I think it is cool to to watch these movies because in the same way that it's cool to watch action movies and certain sequences with the sound off, um, it's like a different experience. But for me, man, there's just so much good stuff to watch out there. I don't need to watch these same things again uh, with, with like the color desaturated. It's it, it's not going to add much for me. Yeah, it, it's yeah. I've got. I mean, like it's one thing where if I got it, if I bought a Blu-ray and then I got a disc with the black and white version on it. And then I would maybe come back to it and watch it on a curious afternoon one day. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's like, um, cause I've got, I've got the Logan Blu-ray and I know that comes with a, it has a, has a noir, Logan, a noir yeah, version, Logan is, noir. Yeah. yeah. Which I haven't, I, have I watched? I think I have watched it actually. I think I did. I could, um, yeah, you know what? I did watch it. I watched it last year, but yeah, <laughs> I couldn't remember whether I'd watched it or not. <laughs> But yeah, no that that was um, that was pretty cool actually, and yeah, I would um, I would I, I I want to go back and revisit it, but I, I just yeah, like you say, I'm not the bandwidth right now for that, and um, the um, I, I still need to watch the Godzilla film because that came out, and and me being the advocate of giant monsters that I am, like I can't you know. It's, it's just, it's just a sh- yeah. We're on a podcast where I'm the one who's bringing up Godzilla, and not you. Ex- exactly, and it's, it's, it's like I've, 
had the, you know had had things been or had things been been you know like as they were two years ago and i could have gone to the cinema to see yeah. it i probably would have been at the cinema this weekend but there we go and it's like i looked on amazon prime and it's like 15.99 on amazon prime to rent it and i'm thinking you wish you had you know, hbo matt <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but yeah um there we go. I really want to watch it, and I probably will shell out for it and watch it. It's it's funny how I begrudge play, paying the money to stream it on my TV, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't mind shelling that out for cinema tickets. Yeah, but that's like a restaurant, man. You don't want to pay mm. restaurant prices to eat at home. True that. True that. I guess it's that kind. It's that same psychology, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The experience is completely different. The equipment's different. Like like down here in London. Yeah, if I'm getting a drink and stuff like that, I don't bat an eyelid to spend five yeah. quid on a pint. But if I'm buying a multi pack to drink at home, that's yeah. crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it, and I'll watch it at home. I'll just get Sophie to kick the back of the sofa while I'm watching it, and then I've got <laughs> oh, that full the, cinema experience. The D-box experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, turn, oh no, turn. no, you you just meant the normal, yeah, D box, the douchebag box experience. Yeah, right? yeah. Turn <laughs> turn the lights off. Get Sophie to throw popcorn at me and kick the back of the sofa. Constantly have some yeah. conversations. <laughs> Backlight right up. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, other than that, other than like, st- I mean, the only other things I wanted to bring up, I guess, was uh, Oddworld Soulstorm, um, which is the new Abe's Odyssey game, Abe's Exodus game. Uh, so I guess Oddworld, the Oddworld games, the Oddworld games are, um, they've been going since the 90s. The first ones were released on the PS1. I had them growing up. I had Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus. And they were like some of my favorite games for how different they were in how they encouraged you because it was like a, it's like a survival game. The, the aim is to go through the game and to save as many lives as you can as you're doing it. And um, it was different in that you couldn't be directly offensive uh, to other games I'd played at the time as a kid. You couldn't be you couldn't go on a direct offensive to save people. You had to use your head and use what was around you in the game. Which was kind of cool. Yeah, because like even though like the game design of like those original games are in the lineage of like um, like Another World um, and um, like those type of uh, like corridor crawl games, but this one uh, there's no gun to pick up. It, it's uh, heavily focused on like uh, live puzzle solving. Yeah. And this was my first experience with that kind of game. So uh, briefly, on World Soulstorm, it's it's it was basically if you've ever played Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus, um, this was originally touted, I guess, as a a, a a remaster or remake of Abe's Exodus. But it's more than that. It's like a reimagining. It's something entirely new. Now that I've actually got my hands on it, um, and I'm loving it so far. It's a super rich narrative, like. It sheds some of the lightness and the humor present in the original Abe's Exodus and in Abe's Odyssey and things like that. Like games, those games are notorious for their fart jokes, um, and it, it kind of sheds all of that in in service of diving deeper into the themes of, like the themes that it goes into of oppression, colonization, um, like all of this stuff was always present in the game series, but now it's kind of like more close. It's closer to the surface. There's less around it 
if you understand mm. um, the themes of horrendous treatment of native populations at the hands of invading nations and the themes of loss of cultural identity that come with that and Abe rediscovering his Midarkan heritage and whatever. Like, I mean, that was always there, but now you're playing Soulstorm, you're thinking about that more because that is closer to the surface and there's less, there's less around that to distract you from that. Um, I think is what they've done with this. And it's a really cool and really interesting game. It, it completely new system for the way things work and everything. And it's, it is totally worth your time and your money. So yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking Soulstorm out for sure. It looks um, really good as well from what I've seen. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, cause they use like a physics, like they've got like a physics engine in there as well. To, um, and just like the visuals of it, because it like it has from for me this is me from the outside looking in. It it like it 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 retains the the look that gives me nostalgia in terms of where the camera is placed and like the different levels and where you can be of Abe and like moving up and down and all and all that. But like there's stuff like with like a train and it it looks like there's loads of like active gameplay elements like in the background and foreground of shots and like it just feels like like so much is going on it feels kind of like the perfect version of translating those games into like 2021 if you know what i mean oh for sure yeah and i love i love that they've not tried to go because there was like this thing where they were trying to go fully 3d with stuff because that was like uh, say Munchers and Strangers, yeah, uh, rough, wasn't it? Where Strangers they... rough was an FPS, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the camera think... goes behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Third-person it... type games. Yeah, um, but like I love that they've. I never really played Strangers rough that much. I only I played Munchers Odyssey and I had the first two. Yeah, I only um, played Odyssey and Exodus on the. PS4. Yeah, but like I, I, I. I like that they've gone back to the kind of like 2.5D thing because mm. that I, I think that is the, the the strength of the game is the 2D thing and being able to see what's going on in each level and everything else and having that to think about. I don't I don't like it on a 3D plane. I prefer it that way. It's comfortable for me. It's comfortable for my eyes. It's comfortable for my the way I play the game. And yeah, it's great. And it's it's one of those things where it's one of those games where if I play it, I, I get I can't I can only play it in short bursts at the minute because I get anxious that I'm doing it wrong. Because yeah. there's a right and a wrong way to do things. Yeah, I can feel that. Yeah, and there's the te- there's always the temptation to do really evil stuff because it's there at your hands. And like they always tempt you with it as well. It's like they give you the easy way out and the hard way out. Obviously you're always gonna want to save them with darkens, but I'm talking about killing the slicks, the bad guys. Yeah, you're trying because you're to play pacifist, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying not to. I mean, I've killed too many already on my, <laughs> my current save. I might have to start over, but uh, this was before I discovered it was actually affecting my karma. So you have a karma or karma score in this where it's like at the end of each level, it, that that basically the ultimately the karma score is going to determine what kind of ending you get when you finish the game or what happens as you get further through the game. Um, but obviously affecting your karma score is how many Madarkins you manage to save on your way through each level. Um and uh, the more that you save, the better your Kwama is. The less you save, the more Kwama you lose. Um, but also affecting that now is what you do to the bad guys. So there are ways to subdue them non-lethally. 
um, you don't have to kill them, but sometimes it's easier to take them off the board permanently. Mm. And in each scenario, I'm starting to find there's like an easy option and there's a way to tough it out. And it kind of tempts you with the easy option because you try it the hard way a couple of times and then you think, oh, I just want to progress. And I could easily progress by doing this, that and the other. And But then you kill them and you lose karma for killing them. Mm. So it makes you think about things like that. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, because like, obviously it's... it's uh, 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 becoming a well-worn like game mechanic now of offering like um the opportunity to do pacifist runs where you don't kill people i think to a recent example of that is the the hitman games like from 2016 Mm. onwards and with um with those games you can complete a mission and gun down as many people as you want as long as you get away with it and you can complete the mission but if you want to do it properly and you get extra bonuses and up your level and stuff like that then there's all these different challenges of like do this and blah, blah, and don't kill anyone. Uh, do this, don't kill anyone, and only wear these specific outfits and, 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 and uh, stuff like that. And it, it, not, uh, not killing people ends up being like a, a sort of positive challenge because then it adds an extra puzzle element and diff- difficulty to it. While um, in the case of um, uh, the uh, Soulstorm, it... Uh, it seems like it it functions as a, as a smart sort of meta narrative thing as well, which is cool. Like how how do you want to uh, op, uh, operate your revolution? And I, I think that's that's quite a cool um, cool addition. Yeah, it is. It's fun. I like it. Me, I mean, I I I want to try and get a good karma score, so that's why I don't want to kill people. But I also understand that you know. What kind of revolution is a bloodless revolution? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, so yeah, that's only good uh, slag is the death slag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say? Um, Asab or slags are bastards? <laughs> uh, from from my time playing Odyssey and Exodus, I, I, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, um, moving on from there, I guess we can dive into the first of our reads. Just before we do that, I've got some breaking news. Get this, breaking news. A tweet that went out this evening at 6.34pm from TKO. Uh, fine, like, I mean, they kind of already, we knew this was going to happen anyway because they'd already talked about it. But now they've fully announced um, that they're going to be publishing the definitive editions of scales and scoundrels one and two so scales and scoundrels is back and there's like 250 pages of new material in these so each volume is now 300 pages which is kind of sick because <laughs> we got That's the original cool. 12 issues um published under image and then it got cancelled or I, I don't know what the exact what exactly happened to it but it just it just stopped and it came to an end and i was a sad sad boy and then I started seeing whispers about like, basically the creators were saying, oh, you know, Sebastian Gardner and things. They were saying like, oh, don't worry, we're going to bring it back. It's not gone. It's not gone forever. And then TKO Studios appears. And then, uh, and then we're now getting Scales and Scoundrels again published by TKO. So I am looking forward to that. Um, and I cannot wait to get the rest of it and to get the rest of the story and just to see, you know, 
I want these definitive editions because I am so looking forward to it. I'm so glad it's back. I really am. So, yeah, that is uh, the full tweet. Is t- uh, TK was saying, we're thrilled to be publishing the definitive editions of Scales and Scoundrels 1 and 2 by Sebastian Gurner, um, Gallard, and uh, Jeff Powell. With more than 250 pages of new material, each volume is nearly 300 pages of manic adventure energy and great storytelling. We can't wait. Neither can I. That's very cool. Yes. Live and breaking. Yes. <laughs> Not often we get to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, on to the actual reviews. So these are the, uh, the, big, the big reviews for this episode. So we're going to open this up with Silver Coin. Um, and uh, so this is the Silver Coin, and this is by, written by Chip Zdarsky. Art, colours, and letters are by Michael Walsh. And this is published by Image Comics. Now, this is a horror anthology book, and uh, it's quite fitting that we're opening with this one because, you know, um, the the opening band, right? Playing to an empty room. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, anthology series, horror series, yes, please. Uh, so if I just give you the blurb straight up for the silver coin... Um, so this is a new horror anthology miniseries for mature readers. Each issue will tell a tale of terror in a shared supernatural world. The story starts in 1978 with a failing rock band whose fortune suddenly changes when they find the mysterious silver coin. Little do they know that fame comes with a cost and the curse, a curse is always hungry. So this is like in the, um, during when I talked about Diablo house, and how in Diablo House, like I'm going in the Wayback Machine now. We get yeah. we we taking a time machine back to like the beginnings of Ace Comicals. But when I when I was reading Diablo House, um, which is a fantastic book, and if you can track it down, if you can fucking find it anywhere, please read it. It's fantastic. Um, but like, it's a similar thing where it was an anthology series, and there was this house, and this house would grant wishes but then the house would always take what it was owed in a sense, or it would punish you for your, your hubris or whatever. Mm. Um, and it's always a great premise and it's always a really good classic way to frame a really cool horror story, especially with an anthology series like this. And if you're going to go the anthology route, like it's, it's always a nice, interesting way to do it because what you get to do is you get to tell these cool stories, but then alongside that, you get to reveal little tidbits about the thing, the object, the house, the the force that is causing this as you go along. So you get to you get to have the cool story for your reader, which is a cool self-contained story each per issue, and then you get to have this like running narrative alongside that that kind of like branches through each issue and this like. Um... It's like this steady sort of background world building, which is always really cool. Yeah, exactly. And then that that kind of like, you you get to do these cool things and get to play with these cool toys, which is fun. Um, and it's always fun to be to be part of that as a reader as well, and to experience it from the other side, and to like look at it that way, and and get to like because when I'm when I'm coming up with stories myself, because I I, I do occasionally try to write unsuccessfully. Um, I, I just come up with ideas basically and just jot them down and do nothing with them. But like when I come up with ideas for myself, a lot of them take this anthology form where it's like, I've got something that changes hands over generations or something like that. Yeah. 
and I tell stories that way because it's just it's just something that I enjoy doing in my mind. Um, and if I think if I were to write a story, I would probably use that kind of format to tell it because and it seems it's, like a, a good exercise, a good uh, fruitful exercise because I think by using the, that format as you've like um, like alluded to already, it gives you um, it affords you the chance to have sort of one unified say structure or like yeah. girthin but then be able to tell a bunch of smaller contained stories around said thing so i think as even just as a practice it's it it's it gives you the opportunity to tell 10 different stories for instance in different genres maybe about yeah. different people and different themes that um that you've got but you, you're not beholden to then having to write a, a whole massive story about them. You can just dip into people's lives, uh, have this uh, like moral play or this uh, exploration of human nature, and then just exactly. jump into a completely different one. Yeah, you don't have to get lost in the woods, mm. which is cool. Um, so yeah, it's a great premise. I do love the anthology style of storytelling. Um, it's yeah, it's fantastic. So this story about this cursed coin. Uh, that grants wishes and takes something in return. And with this one, there's also kind of like, it's, it's, it takes it a little bit deeper. So it, it's not just the story about the coin in this. It's, it's like kind of almost a little bit about addiction, um, a little bit how, you know, the, the quest for fame and the, the themes of addiction, everything that come with that. And the, the kind of like being so single-minded in your quest and in, in your addiction and it becomes an addiction and then you push people away basically. Um, and like the tension and the mystery in the book is absolutely fantastic. It keeps you teetering on a blade's edge, like uh, while you're waiting for it to all go wrong. Like you've got this seventies rock band, like full of conviction, trying to stay true to their art. But then like our main protagonist, Ryan is also losing himself in his quest for fame. And he's got this like deep gnawing hunger, and the coin is preying on that and making him worse. It's like twisting him. Um, so it's taking, and then in the end, it takes what it's owed. It harvests these souls of the weak willed and the house always wins. And that's, what's great about this type of story. Um, and aside from its moral musings on the price of fame and everything else, it really does do a good job of selling the spell of the coin and the curse. Like he's, like in parts of the book, like Ryan cuts it like, so Ryan injuring himself while he's playing, cutting his finger or whatever, seems innocuous enough, but then the coin has a blood price and it's how the influence of the coin seeps in throughout the panels of the book. And then you get that the part later on in the book where he willingly removes the bandaid from his finger and bleeds on the coin, like almost on purpose because he knows the coin needs it. Um, and then his eyes change to match the eyes on the coin in certain panels and his personality is just twisting throughout. And it's just this hungry look on his face of the characters, like starved carnivorous animals. Like, <laughs> And you've got these like the, en the enraptured crowds that they're playing to. They're all euphoric and dead eyed. And it's just so uneasy and anxious and, and you can feel it. And the curse is ever present panel to panel. And it's like slowly throughout just setting the jaws of its trap tightly wound springs like it's just like it's just it's just pulling the trap open ready for it to spring shut and just mangle its prey and it does <laughs> and it's yeah it's a great it's a great uh opener for this anthology and you must have enjoyed it right being a complainant about issue ones and the fact that they never, <laughs> never give you enough 
Well, exactly. Like um, the way around that for me is, as you said, like the anthology because you get to dip in, dip out. Yeah, and you have your your contained thing. And I I do like this as uh, a standalone story, but also a setup for this type of premise because um, there's like interesting wrinkles in this where uh, this is a rock band to a kind of in an awkward spot because disco is taking over and it's taking um taking over the real estate and attention um from the venues that they would play so it's one of those things where oh if you don't make it now you're kind of screwed for even longer and we even have like a similar thing to happen with that where it's a nightmare scenario of like breaking through and getting a record deal but it's they, the wrong time um, yeah so so like Imagine going through all those hoops, because that's the dream of every single band ever. Mm. Um, and imagine that being like, oh, you are actually good enough, but it's just the wrong timing. It, it's it's oh. it's like awful, and it it, it adds to yeah that generally feeling of being trapped, because um, like the main dude, he obviously feels trapped in his life and in that city, and while there's elements where the other mates, uh, other members of the band uh, are loving it to love it, they just, they do actually like, like just being in a band together and playing music, um, they're content to sort of have fun with it and and like stay at home. But he he wants to escape. He needs out. He needs he needs greatness. He's not. It's like it, for him, like I think there's, there's no point doing it if he's not going to be the best. Yeah. Um. And, and uh, he hates disco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you do have that really cool framing device where it's almost like um uh, a ticking time bomb on it in terms of like oh this this dream this pipe dream even that has an expiration date and normally that expiration date is just everybody gets old and has kids before you've made it but this expiration date is that no one cares about rock music for that for that time being literally no one wants to listen to rock anymore (laughs) Everyone wants to get down with Saturday Night Fever, so yeah. So it's it's quite yeah. it's quite cool in that, and I really like the the color design in this book. I've spoken about it on previous apps. Yeah, um, how I do love when like uh, certain scenes and certain locations uh, or and certain pages are like the have like a have a have a palette of like using the same variations of a few different colors, and yeah, it really helps accentuate um the tone and the mood um and it's almost like a shortcut for like how you feel in that situation where yeah. you, in the club when you're lost in ecstasy of like just feeling the music you get lots of cool uh fusions and, and and purples and uh, uh those sort of uh indigo indigo blues and then um when the, the um, the characters are sort of chilling, uh, sort of musing on on their existence and what they, what what they what their hopes and dreams are, and they're like what feels like in a lounge or a basement. That it has these uh, different types of greens and yellows, and it, it this those different hues just communicate this sense of like almost like stuck, like the, the garage yeah. band thing of like kind of just bums just chilling out, just hoping and- for that dream. The beer and um, joints, you can smell that basement as well. Yeah. And then <laughs> as like the Faustian deal starts to begin with the coin, we just have these strong like uh, 
like reds and like um atomic uh like pinks which uh just feel so um emotive and so explosive and yeah. especially on a lot of those pages the onomatopoeia of the um the instruments and uh, the the vocal wails and the lyrics themselves yeah uh, they like breaking in over the image and, and taking over it, just like the music is taking over him uh it's really cool and i i like i do like the uh the construction of this there's a lot of really cool build up shots and cool uh i guess action shots in terms of like wailing on the music and because there's not much time to delve super deep there's a lot of quick shorthand like to do with the lead and his relationship with his father and um the your um the like the wants and needs of the characters are uh like displayed in, in quite a quite a cool way where at one point uh the uh the, the lead guy is almost willing to, uh, well, I mean, he is willing to uh, start playing these dreaded disco just so he can he can make <laughs> it because he starts to think, oh, I can do the long game and I can get some power <laughs> and then I can start doing my own stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things sort of like Faustian deal where you think you can outsmart the devil. No, you can't. You, you can never outsmart the devil. And the house it, always wins. It's like I said yeah. up top. But and, like and it, it leads to like like what what I think is like a really cool conclusion and a really cool ending that I don't want to go into super detail with because I want people to to check this out and read it. But uh, the final panel is so good. It's such yeah. a good panel. There's like um, something really awesome about the way that it's almost like he didn't make a conscious choice uh, with the coin as well. Because he just started playing it, playing using the coin because he didn't have a pick. Yeah. And it's like almost as if he was suckered into the deal a little bit. Yeah, but um, th- there's a there's a thing with that that I quite like where it's not this big thing. It's just a case of yeah. they use it and then they're like, whoa, this thing must be magic. And they're, ju- they're just on board straight away. And it's yeah. kind of refreshing where it it's not people... Um, wasting ages going like maybe it's magic maybe it's no it's not man blah, blah. yeah maybe it's magic. Yeah. or there's not some bit where the coin summons uh, the devil yeah. or something and then he he, he formally yeah. says uh give me your soul and you'll be you'll be able to shred this axe whatever you yeah. don't get that instead it's a it's a lot more um yeah insidious it's a lot more natural and that's what i quite exactly like and you can feel the um i mean they do have that little conversation don't they like that uh, drinking beer, just sitting about, just being like, so, so what if it's magic? If it's not yeah, magic, yeah. then maybe it's this. Like, you know, they, they talk about it for a brief moment, but they think whatever it is, it works, let's do it. Which I, I think, you know, a, 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 any any struggling band would probably do that if it, if it gives them a chance of, like, thinking in their dreams. Like, I, I love the amount of energy present in the musical scenes as well, actually, coming on to, like, the struggling band thing, because it really captures the hard work and the grit of musicians perfectly. Like, I've... I've been to gigs and shows like locally and I've watched like local rock bands, um, pop punk bands, things like that. Um, and, um, I've, I've seen like 
the effort and the time they spend practicing and the effort they put in when they're on stage. And I love how this book captures that and how dynamic the performances look in the book. Um, and also how the book expertly captures the pain and disappointment of playing to an empty bar. <laughs> I've, I've been to shows where bands have come such a long way to play to six people. And it's just, I can't imagine how, cause I've not, you know, like I can't imagine how crushing it must be to stand up there and do that, but then to still give it everything you've got. Yeah. Like it, it takes some, some kind of steel conviction and steel nerve to do that. And I am, you know, like hundred percent in awe of that every time. And you know, you'll speak to these bands. I've had conversations. I had a conversation with a band like this once. And, and I think the answer they gave me was, as long as we're playing to the right people, we don't care. Hmm. Which is a really good way to look at it, to be fair. Like, they're like, look, you know, if only six people saw it and those six people, then those six people were the right people to see it. And that's the way we look at it kind of thing. It's like, you know, it's a good way to look at things. And it's a really like pragmatic way to be, I guess. But yeah, I, I, the book captures that, that kind of like frustration perfectly. Like no one's in the bar apart from the barman just standing there, just cleaning glasses like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> On his own kind of thing in the corner. And then everyone piles in to listen to disco later. Like that, that must be so irritating. Yeah. And with these local shows as well, you get like that thing where, everyone who turns up to see one band then goes home before the other bands play. So you get everyone, you get a load of people turning up to see the opener who are like friends and family of the opening band, but then they don't stay for the other two bands. And then you get people filtering in later on for the other two bands and things. But it's like, it's kind of like, it's, if you're going to go stay for the whole show, you know, (laughs) Because you just make it hard for everyone else. You just make it harder on everyone else. It, it, you 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 support every band that's on the bill, don't well, just... It's like a hassle yeah. as well. Like, for me, uh, like, well, part of my fun of going to gigs um, is... like I, I, I'm not usually going to, like, l- like local bar of like, local yeah. bands. Usually I'm going to, like... Obviously, I live in London, so usually I'm going to a venue where someone's playing... Uh, a, a smaller mod to moderately decent sized venue to like a massive place. But the thing I like about that is when you go early and often, oftentimes I'm, I don't look up who the um, openers are um, or cause I just forget. And then you're there and you, you end up discovering people at times in a really cool yeah. way where it's like, Oh wow. I love the sound of this band. Who are they again? And, and then you end up being a fan of, of people. Um, and you, it's like, like discovering music in like a Spotify playlist or, what, or what, whichever service you use is cool, but but doing it via live is 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 like life changing. That's the way to do it. That's that's how it should be done. Like going into like I I do that where I will go in to see a band that's touring, and then like their opener is um, someone local that they've picked to open for them, which is always really awesome. Yeah. Um, kind of like lifting the local scene a little bit. And it's always really cool when that happens. And it, it's cool to discover new bands that way because they could be taught, they're touring with someone as well that you've never heard of. And it's great. And I can't wait to be able to do that again. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> to the point where we're able to do things like that again. It would be cool. But yeah, um, yeah, that is the silver coin. And uh, yeah, so we already gave the credits up top, but I'll do it again. Written by Chip Zdarsky, Art Colors Letters, Michael Walsh, and published by Image Comics. Um, currently available. Uh, issue one was out previous NCBD, so get on that. Um, so last one on the list was one that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I, I did talk about it a little bit last episode, but um, I can go into it a li- in a little bit more detail now because we've got two issues of it. And you've also read it as well, haven't you, Leon? I have. Yeah. And this is Two Moons. So Two Moons. Um, so last time I was talking about how, you know, I, I said it was a gorgeous book and it's like this historical horror set during the american civil war and it's the historical horrors of the american civil war and the horrors that you know people do to each other during war and how violence changes people and it has these like um these themes that you that i was saying before are usually reserved purely for vietnam war stories like themes of ptsd and and being blood drunk and whatever and and it, it introduces those themes using supernatural elements and it uses the supernatural as a tool to show how Virgil, the main character, is at odds with his Pawnee Nation heritage. And it's also um, an excellent way for them to show him discovering his Pawnee Nation heritage and also highlight the the kind of like the violence of war and, and what these people are actually doing. Um, so blurb for this one. Uh, I'll just go. So this is um, an all new ongoing horror series. Uh, it's the long journey of a young Pawnee man named Virgil Morris, a.k.a. Two Moons, fighting for the Union during the Civil War when he is suddenly confronted with his shamanic roots. He discovers horrors far worse than the combat as the ghosts of his past reveal the monstrous evil around him. Um, so, I mean, Leon, let's get your thoughts first, because I've already talked a little bit about it, so I'm more interested to hear what you think. Yeah, overall, I found this to be quite a, like, textured story, where the, so not to repeat much of what you said previously, but, like, in the first issue, it does set up a lot of the stuff to do with, like, uh, sort of the manifestation of uh, trauma and PTSD. Um, but, But it also... Is quite effective at I don't know, uh, detailing this this world, this um, this place in time, and the various like push and pull to do with different actions. And from the jump, uh, Virgil seems like someone who uh, has a less sort of idealistic outlook with all this stuff and, and sees it it being a lot more, um, not gray, but like a lot more, uh, complicated than it is because like war is killing people. Um, war is a lot of violence and, uh, he seems to, have this perspective of sort of being an outsider, but also someone who has been uh, like integrated a bit 
because of his uh, his history. But there's also a feeling here of someone who has um, become a bit detached with their, their heritage, and detached with their culture to a degree. And it, the comic, uh, as we progress through these two issues, it feels as if this culture is sort of coming back to uh, catching up with them. And um, I don't know, like getting in it into his head to, I don't know, help in a way help him sort of process what's going on, but also help him in 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 a way sort of find himself amongst all the uh, the chaos of of war. Yeah, and, um, and like a lot of that is built between like his relationships with different characters. And also, um, like I said, like, uh, his outlook and and how he sort of, sort of deals with with what he's confronted with. Yeah. But, so, yeah. Oh, sorry, Karen. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll continue. So I was I was going to say this actually. Yeah, it expands on kind of what was going on in issue one and what I've already said about issue one, and it takes it like a step deeper because it. It, we're now on like a vision quest by issue two, a vision quest of sorts as Virgil has kind of been led back to discovering his lost Pawnee Nation heritage. Like we get, we see that, like you were talking about some integration uh, within being raised by white parents and, and how a lot of the, you know, his, his Pawnee Nation heritage had been pushed aside because of that. It's like, dis- almost, almost like you can imagine him, he, you can imagine he's probably been discouraged from, looking for that or exploring that and like the art is incredible with the amount of like tension and terror in it and everything else and in 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 the 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 kind of like visits he gets from these spirits um when they're showing him this stuff and leading him back to this stuff um and everything has this kind of like laid bare desaturated stripped back hard truth feel to it like in every scene it's like it makes you wince in places sometimes like but there's still shades of beauty in the landscapes and natural environments of the old west and the colors in the skies and everything and like one of my favorite pages actually i don't know about you leon but my favorite one of my favorite pages is in issue two and it's the dream conversation between two moons and coyote Mm. The spiritual coyote, like there's this gorgeous like space scene kind of revealed to two moons, and it's part of this like dream vision that he's having. And the design of coyote is absolutely to die for. It's brilliant, and like the amount of madness in the eyes of some of these characters and everything else. Like, um, yeah, I just I can't I can't get enough of this right now, and I really can't wait for issue three. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at with that. Yeah, no, like I really like. Um... I like how a lot of things are conveyed in this because these types of stories or like these, when you're doing a thing where a character is sort of uh, engaging with the supernatural and sort of talking to entities, uh, uh, to wise entities about certain things, there is a line where that can just be super cliche and uh, trite and uh, like uh, be uh, in in ways um, like 
like lack a sole purpose other than being like weird and sort of painting a like a supernatural picture and the other side of that is when it when in which I personally find successful is when these interactions uh either delve into a deeper truth to do with said character or um uh, present a, a particular idea or um a particular like an element of life through a different lens um uh, again helping the the lead character but also assisting in the reader processing a different element of humanity or life or what or whatever in a in a different in a different way and i think that this book falls into the latter quite a lot where it doesn't just feel like yeah let's just have a coyote or let's just have mods or whatever the interactions and the conversations um, that take place with this are always uh, illuminating and always fo- uh, like accompanied with really uh, gorgeous, gorgeous art, which um, can be like in a second intimate, and then in in another way be interstellar. And I, I really do love that with the connection between sort of. Uh, humanity and like uh, spirituality and just the general idea of finding oneself or investigating one's oneself and one's past and the the um the sort of push and pull you can have with all of that, especially in this chaotic time of upheaval uh, and war uh, with great danger. Um, I think that. A lot of, like, I think a, a death hand has been used to avoid, like, the types of stories you'd get like this, but say 20 years ago, for instance, which would probably be uh, suffer from uh, stereotypes and, and a bit more cliches to do with, um, uh, like, an indigenous person during this time because uh, you always have like um, the like just tropes especially when it came to like Native Americans and that this is this is mentioned and spoke about in the first issue in the uh, in, in the at the end of it with the, where the writer goes into detail about this story and, and why they wanted to tell it and I think that that stuff is found in in the text as well and um I, I do like that there's connection made with uh Virgil and the uh the uh nurse doctor who whose name I can't remember at the moment. Um the uh, who's an Irish immigrant and I think there's like a lot of like cool like like there there's a, um a a kernel of like an interesting parallel there and I'm interested to see um, where that goes and um, what where they're going with this story because I think that there's a lot of potential to dig into some really meaty but also uh, very um, internal um, like ideas um, and like themes so yeah um, I, I'm on I'm on board of it as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And like one of the other things I wanted to bring up, just like one of the other points that I had for this book was that it was, um, it, it just, the way that they managed to capture, like it's it just, I'm, I'm still, sorry. I'm still, I'm still like harping on it and enamored by this, this whole thing that they've taken like the Vietnam story and they've put it into the civil war. Cause I, I love war stories, um, from Vietnam. Like I like stories set in that time and I like stories that explore what happened there and everything else. And that don't shy away from, you know, some of the awful things that happened. And I love that we're now getting, you know, that they're using that and exploring the civil war with it hmm. and, and doing like, instead of getting these like really polished Westerns that we normally get and things like that, we're actually getting like a civil war story that gets ugly with it. Um, and you get to see these demonic expressions that these people exhibit and, and the bloodlust and the way they grow more savage and animalistic as they get angrier. And, and like, I'm referencing the conclusion of issue one here. Um, but like, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous book. And like with a narrative as enthralling as the panels that facilitate it unfolding are beautiful. And like, I just have to say that I am, I'm 100% on board with it. And I, I just cannot, cannot wait for more of this. Like we need more stories like this is <laughs> what I'm going to say. Like more, cause I like my historical horror and I'd love more stuff set during the civil war. The American Civil War, because I think I, I think that's an interesting time. And the thing is, I think there is a bunch of it, but it's all um, it's all like literature. It's, yeah, uh, it's uh, like more more novelistic, um, and yeah. so in this space. But then, like, there's because a, a thing that this book reminds me of a lot. Why why part of the reason why I think I'm gelling with it is that the feel tone and like the art reminds me of like reading vertigo comics like 15 years ago or so like I, yeah. I kind of had that feel with it where it's um the novel thing for me then was like oh cool i'm getting like uh adult dramas in comic books um but but like it, beyond that it was um there's just a general feel of like ex- facial expressions getting into the the inner soul of a lot of these characters but also uh, digging into some of this uh, uh, complicated and, and difficult, um, but and, and com- complex uh, actions and emotions, and how that connects to like the wider story, and yeah, yeah it, it gives me a lot of those feelings. So I am, um, I it does it, it gives me like a weird nostalgic feeling in a way for those types of books. Yeah. I, I can feel the ghost of Vertigo in it, actually, now you mention it. <laughs> it's there. God rest Vertigo. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that was Two Moons, and uh, I'll just give you the credits again for that. So that is written by John Arcudi, art is by Valerio Giangiordano, and uh, colours by Dave Stewart. Um Letters by Michael Heisler, and that is published by Image Comics. So that wraps us up for today. That's everything. Um, I got again. I've got no pull list for you, but um, by the time this show is up for you to listen to on your listening app or, or place of choice, um, non-essential retail will be back on in the UK, so you will be able to go and collect your comics. 
and I would fully encourage you to do so because your LCS needs you right now. Um, they've had a year of it, like the rest of us have, and uh, they're, they're pretty much ready for you to go back in and start buying stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, you need to get out there and, and buy your comics. Um, I, I'd fully, I fully support you going uh, tomorrow and treating yourself to your books, maybe going and picking up your books uh, when it's, you know, when, when you can, because obviously they're going to have your pulls ready for you. And you need to go and pick up your pulls, man. You need to support your LCS. So like I aim to be there when I can to pick up my mammoth backlog of pulls. So like stay safe, stay masked, keep your distance and go buy some comics. Um, and that wraps us up for Ace Comicals 109. So that has been episode 109. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything we do. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Twitter and Instagram tend to be where we're most active these days, Twitter being the more active of the two. If you want to get in touch with us, DM us. Uh, send us an email at acecomicals at gmail.com. Um, at us on Twitter start you know talk to us about comics that's that's what we want to do that's why check we started out Greg's this podcast blogs. Check out Greg's yeah blogs. check out the blog posts on the ace comicals website where i uh occasionally write about stuff because we don't just do talky reviews here i i do writey reviews too uh on the blog so occasionally i'll get something and i'll write a review about it so there are some blog posts there where i've uh, i've done some written reviews if you want to check those out as well uh some great books actually that i have managed to do uh, we've been given through most recently we were given a book called um bear with me and i'll come to it most recently we were given a book called all the places in between uh we're going to advance review of this book by the publisher liminal 11 um and uh yeah, it's, it's a great book, so you should check out the review there and consider pre-ordering it from the Liminal 11 website, which is www.liminal11.com. Um, it's supposed to be released April this month uh, and priced at eleven ninety nine UK. Uh, so, yeah, go check that out. It's a really, really gorgeous little book. Uh, themes of mental health and struggles with mental health and... Also, um, if you're a person that struggles with mental health, what I, when I was reading this book, like just to dip into my review slightly, um, what I found about this book is it is something that is useful possibly as a tool to describe to other people what you're feeling, because these feelings can often be difficult to get across to someone looking in from the outside. They can be quite cryptic. It's hard to tell people how you feel and explain to people how you feel and, with the metaphors used in this book and the way this book lays it out, that's a really great way to kind of get that over to people. Um, if, if you're having trouble expressing that. And I think, I think it's a, it's a useful one for people that have ever struggled with mental health issues or know someone who's struggling with mental health issues to have on their bookshelf. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yep, and uh, so that has been Ace Comicals. That is Ace Comicals 109, over and out.